Well, good morning, everyone. It's really awesome to see you all today. And uh, I'm so excited to be sharing today. Um, preaching is one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. Uh, simply because you give yourself the opportunity to be in somebody else's hand for him to craft something. And then you then pass it on to other people. And what I like about it is that it's not just like any other public speaking. This is life. Whatever you give when you preach, you are giving life. So uh, it's, a, it's a privilege. Shall we pray, please, before, before I start? Father God, you are awesome. <laughs> I just want to say today that you are awesome. You are incredible. And I thank you, Lord, for the privilege of sitting and listening to your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is life. Your word is power. And we give you praise for it now, dear God, that as we are listening to it today, that we are going to be transformed. And we thank you for that, for the transformational power of your word. We give you the praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Oh, I've always wanted to say that. Hello, amen, Bazalwan. Uktule Banjen. No, those those things, those Amen Bazalwan. Uktule okay. That means like peace upon you all. It it doesn't quite work, but anyway. Alright. So guys, I'm actually quite excited uh, to be ministering today. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with a scripture. This was not prepared, by the way, this scripture that I'm going to start with. But I'm going to start with it because I believe in this so much. I believe in, in what it speaks. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Yes, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, if you don't have your phone here today, Jeremiah is after Isaiah in the Bible. <laughs> but if you have your phone here, just, you know, it'll do it all for you. I think one of the things that we need to do is that when a person comes to the Lord or as part of our education, we need to ensure that each child is bought a Bible and they learn turning pages of the Bible, and they know where scripture is. All right. Anyway, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, the Bible says, this is God speaking to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who had not heard anything from God, who just knew that he was one of the people of God, but um, he had not heard anything. This is one of, one of the prophets in the Bible. Then God says to him, so verse 4 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Now this is God speaking to this young man. And he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. In other words, before you were an idea in anybody's mind, I knew that I wanted to bring you to the earth. And I knew what I wanted to do with you. I knew all about who you are and what you, are, what you were supposed to be about. So you need to understand, Jeremiah, that you are my idea. You are not your idea. You are not your parents' ideas. Neither are you the idea of society. 
Whatever society says about you is not who you are. You are my idea. I formed you. So I first designed, I had this thought and I thought to design this particular person. So as you are sitting here today, I would like you to understand that you are each God's idea. As you are sitting here, whether you believe it or not, because God decided that you are to be here. Not only did he decide that you are to be here, but he decided to make you with specific attributes, with specific whatever it is, short, tall, dark, handsome, gorgeous, whatever it is that you are. And of course, the gorgeous and the handsome and beautiful belongs to all of us. Things. God decided that you were going to be those things. So as you sit here, it, is, it does not matter what happened to you, about you. Those things are irrelevant because when God sets something in place, it is like that. We are speaking about the God who created, and the Bible says that he is stretching out the universe as we speak. He is stretching it out, and it has been proven that actually the universe is... So, the very God who set things in place, who ensures that in summer, the sun comes out at a certain time. In winter, it comes out at a different time. The God who has the seasons, the God who has set all those things in place, is the one who has the final say about, but it's going to be you who chooses whether you take that on or you don't. Because he's also given us free will. So we work with what he says that we are, but if we choose to be that we are, then we will become that. But if we turn, our, if we turn away from that, if we choose not to believe the thing that God said he has made us to be, then we will be something different. And unfortunate, unfortunately, it becomes a deformed thing. Okay, sorry, that was like, a side thing. Now let's start our message. <laughs> right. Now with that in mind, today, I just want to say, if you think of the word pain, think of pain, distress, discomfort. Do those, do those bring joy to your heart? Do you think, yay, I want some of that? Do you think, oh, you know, I miss that. How I wish I could have more of that in my life. <laughs> because you see, reality is that we are pain averse. Uh, when we think about emotional pain, any type of discomfort, we, we don't like it. In our very nature, we, we like to shy away from it. So many of us put ourselves through pain because we know there's gain at the end of it, right? Like a lot of people exercise not because they like exercising, but because of what they look like after they have exercised. <laughs> Many people wake up early in the morning and they, they go and they, they go in, in cold weather. They go out there and they fight the elements just because they have a certain picture in mind. Otherwise, truth be told, if they were nicely toned and looked the way that they wanted to look, chances are they wouldn't do that. But you see, pain is a funny thing because um, sometimes it is necessary. Okay, pain is necessary sometimes for us to get to certain results. But then we have another type of pain, which is, uh, which is not necessary if we look at it. It's a pain that we don't really choose for ourselves. But unfortunately, life is like that. Life has those painful moments. Unfortunately, we can't put ourselves in a bubble and ensure that nobody hurts us, that we don't get disappointed. You know, um, I've got a slide that shows all these different words, pain, all of that. And I thought about it and I said, you know, I wish I could do something that my son has done, my four-year-old. 
asked me to create a poster for him. And this poster says, no bad guys allowed in my bedroom. Okay. <laughs> and I was supposed to put that on his, on his, on his uh, door. So I wish I could do this. I wish I could make a sign like that. That says no pain allowed. Okay. You are not, if you go to the next slide, you are not allowed to come into my life. This is a no pain zone, no trouble, like a trouble free zone, no pain zone. Because let's face it, guys, all of us have this in, in, in this desire, even if to a certain extent, even if it's not completely true of us, there's a certain doctrine that is out there. And I'd like you to see if you can figure out what this is. It's the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the sole or chief good in life. What is that? Hedonism. If I could choose how my life was going to be, this is it. All pleasure, all, all, all happiness. Because something at the back of my mind tells me that then if I have all this, then my life will be full. My life will be richer. But I'm not sure how true that is. But anyway, I will never find out because life is just like that. I will always have. There will always be a measure of pain. You know, um, we carry all sorts of pain. And today I'm talking about different very varied forms, pain that come from loss, that come from, from, you know, rejection and all sorts of things like that. And why it's important to talk about this is that if we don't treat it right, if we don't treat this state that we sometimes get into right, then we become disfigured or we become trapped, we become stuck. So we need to understand what to do with this thing called pain, discomfort. And while I'm talking about that, I would like to just pray for, for I would like to just pray, if you don't mind, I just feel that I would like to pray for the Gomedes at this moment because they're going through pain. And this is one type of pain that um, we all have to face at some point, the loss of a loved one. So can we just quickly bow our heads and just pray for this family? Father God, we bring... Bongega and her family before you. God, you are a God of every comfort. And you are God who is present in every moment in our lives. So we just bring this family before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we ask that you would be their comfort in the name of Jesus. Above all, Lord, we ask that you would use us to comfort them. That God, you would flow through us to bring comfort to them in a way that they will understand. In a way that will truly uh, bring your love around them. Make your love real through us, dear Lord, in Jesus' name. Lord, we know that they're going through a difficult time, Lord. We ask that, God, you would show them that even if they have lost their father, that in time they would understand that you, as their father, are enough, Lord. So we thank you for them. We pray that you would shelter them and cover them. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. All right. So, um, as I was saying, there are all sorts of, of, of pain. Some, you know, some of the pain that we go through is deeper than others. But here we're looking at what do we do with all of this pain that we face. And some of the pain that we face is um, pain that is because of uh, promises that have been made. Promises that have been made to us. You know, a lot of times uh, we get prophetic words. And this prophetic word is exciting. And you're like, yay, this is what God is going to do. 
But a lot of times, God omits to tell us how long this thing is going to take. <laughs> He'll just tell you, this is what I have for you. But he doesn't tell you, hang on, it's going to take a year or maybe 20 years. He doesn't tell us those things. We have to walk in trust and believe that he's going to do the thing that he said he's going to do. It doesn't matter how long it takes. So sometimes there's pain in waiting and saying, God, how long, how long? And some of the, you know, some, some of it comes through uh, promises that have not really been made by God, but um, things that we expect because that's just how life is supposed to be. Like, for example, if you look at little girls, when you look at two or three little girls, maybe four or five years old, if you watch them long enough, the topic of marriage will come. They will take a baby and they will play with the baby and they will, they will uh, right now, my four-year-old has got someone who has told him that she's going to be married to him. So at, this was last year. So they were three years old and this beautiful, cute little girl said, when we are older, I am going to be married to you. Now, that's what happens with little girls. There's that expectation that when I get older, I'm going to get married. And not only that, but I'm going to have children. There's this picture that girls have in their minds. And I'm sure some men do have this as well, even if they won't admit it. But, you know, there's this picture that is in the mind. And then as time goes and it moves and you, and these lovely ladies meet a lot of frogs and no princes. And they're frogs to them because they're not your prince. They're somebody else's prince. So to you, they're a frog. You understand? So you meet all of these, but you don't meet Mr. Right. A lot of times you meet Mr. Right now, but not Mr. Right. Okay. I hope you understand that. But anyway, so... So you, you, you meet a lot of disappointment and, 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 and all of that. Now, I would like us to go to a story in Genesis, which looks at this, which looks at the pain that happens with waiting. You have a promise, and perhaps you've been waiting, and it's been all of these years, and these, this promise is not coming to pass. Genesis chapter 15 Okay, Genesis chapter 15. Let's read verse 1 to 4. It says this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Isn't this awesome? God says to him, don't be afraid. I am your everything, basically. <laughs> and then Abram says, sovereign Lord. What can you give me since I remain childless? Okay, I get that you are my everything. But what can you give me? I remain childless. And here, I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, he was probably in his 70s towards his 80s. So he says, I'm childless. And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Now God says to this old man, because he was already old, he says, your very own son will be your heir. So whatever it is that I give you will be in good hands when you are gone. Because Abram understood that the promise that 
God says that I am your shield, your very great reward, means that God was going to bless him in a big way. But then he's like, oh, but all these blessings will just be for me, and I'm so old. What's going to happen after that? Because you have not given me a child. Like, ah, God, yeah, I understand, but ah, come on. No, like, no child for me, really, God. But then God promises him that, no, you will have a child. So the servant that you're pointing at is not going to be your heir, but you're going to have a child. And then the Bible says that uh, Abraham believed God, and it was attributed to him for righteousness. So he didn't question and say, but how is it going to happen? I'm so old and this and that. He, he received this and he believed it. Now, when we look at Genesis chapter 16, verse 1, the first portion of it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This is 10 years after they had arrived in Canaan. Sarai had borne no children. The promise was made. It was exciting. But there are no children. It's like, okay, now what do we do? Okay, perhaps, you know, at, at times like this, we start having all these questions. We say, but did God really mean that? Did God say that? Is this what he meant? Did you hear him right? And remember, it doesn't say here that Sarah was with him when God spoke to him. So perhaps she asked him. Oh, and by the way, the name Sarai means quarrelsome. Okay. So can you imagine, <laughs> you're living with this beautiful, beautiful wife because two kings wanted her as their wife. So clearly there was something just amazing about this lady. And she was old at the time and they wanted to marry her. That's another story. But anyway, so you have this gorgeous, gorgeous, beautiful person. But now she's throwing all these questions at you. But, but did God say that? Remember Eve to, to, to Adam? Or when he was having, she was having her conversation with the snake. But did God say? Did he? Did he? Now, here's the moment. But did God really mean it that way? Did it mean that from me? Maybe God didn't mean that this child was going to come from me. He said it's going to be your child, Abraham. That's true. We believe him. It was going to, this was going to be your child. But there's nothing that says it was going to be my child. Interesting, hey? So when this promise was made, Sarai had to believe the promise. But as time went, he, she started to doubt. And some of the doubt came from the, from the fact that in those days, when people did not have children, the blame was not laid on the man, but it was laid on the woman. And you see, they believed that God closed the womb of the woman for a particular reason. So it was almost, you could say, it was her fault. She possibly did something wrong. Why would God close your womb? Because remember, a curse does not alight with no cause. So this was the belief of the day, the day that if you are cursed with childlessness, they looked at it as, as, as a curse. So if you did not have children, then there was something wrong with you, the woman. So with this pain that she has been living with, she had a promise and it brought excitement and it brought hope. All of a sudden, the, the hope is dashed. Ten years have come and gone. Some of the things we do when we get to these places of, you know, dealing with, with pain, discomfort, all of that, is that sometimes we block it. We bury it. 
we try to find ways to get over it. You know, we, so, some of us pretend it never happened. It's like, no, I wasn't hurt. Hi, no, I'm fine. Like, okay, no, I should, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. But you only see with the actions afterwards or with, with what happens afterwards that actually the hurt was there. The pain was there. And other times we wallow in our pain. We cannot wait to tell everyone who comes by us how much we have been wronged, how terrible our lives are. Even our language begins to change. And, and we shape our lives to accommodate the pain, to accommodate this thing that has happened to me. Other times we go on the attack. We go into payback mode. And if you think God, let's say in Sarah's case, you think God closed my womb. Okay, God, I, I'm not interested in you anymore. I don't want you anymore. Why did you do this to me? Other times we protect ourselves, we build walls around ourselves and not allow anybody to come in. We become cynical about life. I met somebody one time who, um, who grew up really badly. His parents were, were not good to him. So he had a really tough up- upbringing. Now he's very, very, very cynical about life. And his pain has shaped a belief and a philosophy in him. Where, and and he, he spreads this wherever he goes. Where he believes that he is a, what, what did he call it? He believes in a, 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 basically people who believe that you should not have children. That if you have children, you are actually abusing your children. Because when you have these kids, you're bringing them into a tough world. Into a world that is full of pain. And that when you have children, you have them for yourself. It's a selfish act. And I was amazed to hear that there's a movement like this where people are advocating not having children. And someone has even written a book. Some gentleman in Pretoria has written a book on this. And it's free online. Now, when you look at all these people, you find that they are building walls to try to deal with this thing that has happened to me. You create a philosophy around your pain. And, and you, you let it cause this cynicism and this bitterness. And unfortunately, what happens is that you start spewing it everywhere. It affects your life. It affects how you look at life. You end up sometimes not even seeing the beauty in life. This gentleman does not see beauty in children. He's very children-averse. He doesn't even like them. He talks to them because he has to. He's protecting himself. And then the last thing that we usually do when we, when we have pain and we have to deal with pain is we make a plan. Like, okay, I want to get rid of this pain. I want to get rid of this. So I'm going to make a plan. And our dear, wonderful Sarah and Abraham, because they did it together. She suggested it, but he followed through, which means that he agreed at some point. Whether you're thinking, oh, she's nagging, let me just get her to keep quiet. You did it. So (laughs) you have to take responsibility for your actions. (laughs) So if we look at that scripture again, from verse 1 to verse 4, Genesis chapter 16, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave, 
Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. But it does not end there. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So now, Sarah and Abram came up with this great idea that here's the slave. And what you need to understand in the context of that society, any slave that you had belonged to you. They were your property. So anything that they have belonged to you. So even the children that are born to that slave actually belong to that household. It was a thing that was done that when a woman could not have children, she could then take her slave and have the slave. So it was like a, now we have surrogacy, but you know, just sort of like that. So also because remember, children in those days belonged to the father. So they, they took their identity from their father. So she was right in terms of society in the day to do this. Because that's just how things were done. Sometimes when we go through pain, we, we find ways that are acceptable in society to mend this pain. We find ways. We go out there. If you're a lady, you go out there hunting because that's what is done now. And you don't hunt. In, you know, you, you, you go out there and you, 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 you go out there with the image of hunting, not the image of Getting to know people. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Okay. You go out there with the intention of grabbing a man. Not the intention of getting to know somebody and then whatever happens, happens. You understand what I'm saying? Here in this society, this was accepted. But because this was not part of what God had for them, it brought terrible, terrible results. Because firstly, this slave, who perhaps was okay, I mean, they wouldn't have chosen her if she had been this attitude-filled person, you know, this, this, this girl. They wouldn't have chosen her. But now, now that she was chosen for this great task, the minute she understood that she had conceived She started despising Sarah, her mistress. In other words, okay, in that, by that I mean her owner, her, you know, <laughs> her madam. <laughs> really? Her madam. That's just worse. I was trying to run away from mistress and you give me madam. <laughs> but anyway, so she was trying to run away from that. I mean, Sarah was trying to run away from the pain, but she put herself into deeper pain. She created a solution that was not really a solution. And then, of course, she turns around and she blames her husband for it. It's actually interesting. If you read on, she says, you are to blame for this. I told you. He did it, so you must take responsibility. <laughs> he didn't have to listen to her. Now, here's what's interesting. God makes a promise. Ten years passes. And then they come up with a solution. All right. And then Hagar despises her, her owner. 
her mistress. She despises her. And then Sarah starts being miserable because this woman is right there in her home. It's unlike Abram had gone elsewhere and done his thing and then came back here. But she's right here. She works for her. So day in, day out, she has to deal with her. Now, what begins to happen is that this further pain begins to shape Sarah into somebody that we did not see before. Because she starts becoming really nasty. She starts mistreating this woman who was put in this situation by her. Hagar did not ask to be given to to Abram. But she was put in there. But now Sarai starts... You can see that now she's beginning to be misshaped. Things are not now going really pear-shaped in their lives. Now all of a sudden they have a, a soapy in the midst of their home. Of their own doing. And do you know what I find interesting? 13 years passes. This child is born by God's intervention. Hagar runs away by God's intervention. He come, she, she comes back. Because when we choose a way that is not the right one we are not exempt from the consequences god helps us through them but we are not exempt from them we can't then say okay no i've done okay let's throw it away but unfortunately in this society that's what happens if you have a child and you if if you fall pregnant and you don't want to have the child you throw away the problem you throw away the child But unfortunately, the consequences follow us. They don't leave us. You may not see the child ever, but the child becomes a part of who you are all the time. When you see little children, you think about that child. But God in his grace, he comes and he cleanses us and he works, he helps us to work through it and to deal with the pain of having done that. And we live full lives despite what we have done. But God does not say, no, take it away. He says, come, let's bring it here. Let's deal with it. Let's work on it. And then he brings his healing power to help us with the very decisions that we made that were contrary to what he has for us. So Hagar comes back with the child. She continues despising her mistress for 13 years. But Sarai has to live with this. But what I find interesting is that after 12 years, God comes back. And then the first thing that he does is he changes their names. And then he says to them that I am going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a child from your own loins. And then, uh, and then he explains and he says, Sarah is going to have this child. Okay. Maybe God was thinking, just in case you try and do something else, <laughs> Sarah, you are going to have this child. And do you know what her response was? She laughed because she was 80, I think it is at that time. So she laughs and she says, me, in my old age, I'm going to have a child. And she laughs because it's like, wow, okay, God, now I get it. Maybe it's like, oh, now I get it. After all this, Abraham is 100 years old when he has Isaac. The promise comes when he's 100 years old and, and, and Sarai was 81, if I'm not mistaken. 
Now, this old lady has this, this baby. What's interesting is that when we involve God, laughter comes, joy comes. Because, you know, there's a, there's a scripture in, in Proverbs. It says, the blessing of the Lord enriches and he adds no sorrow to it. When we create our own blessings and we follow blessers. Sorry, I had to just add that. It was just too good. And we follow blessers and we look for blessers. It comes with misery. But the blessing of the Lord enriches and he adds no sorrow to it. And that's what God did with Isaac. And um, because eesh, don't have much time, but I'm going to have to skip ahead quickly um, to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm not going to read this whole scripture because um, here is someone who did something different. Now we saw Abram and Sarah what, uh, with what they did. Now let's look at First Samuel chapter 1. We have a similar situation where we have a woman called Hannah. And, and Hannah is the wife of a gentleman called Elkanah. And Elkanah has two wives. So he has Hannah and whatever you want to call her. Some people call her Penina. Some people call her Penina. Like my, my lecturer likes to say, you say it according to whoever taught you first. So, Penina for me. Penina. No, Anna, but it's okay. So it's Hannah and Penina. Now they are Elkanah's wives. If you look in this scripture, um, it says in 1 Samuel 1, okay, see, this is why sometimes we don't use Bibles because the, the pages stick sometimes. Okay, right. Uh, he had two wives, chapter 1, verse 2. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. That's the first thing that's said about them. The first is that she's mentioned first. The second is that Penina had children. Hannah didn't have children. Normally in the Bible, when, when a wife or when somebody is named first, it also refers to, their, to the order of preference or the order of seniority. So Hannah, we can assume, was the elder wife or the first wife. And then Penina was the second wife. But then if you note, in the second when it speaks about them, it says, and Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So here's a situation. You are the chief wife. And then the minute you don't have children, it gets swapped. Because you don't have children. So everything changes. But what is significant here is that despite her not having children... Her husband loved her. Isn't that wonderful? That he, he loved her. And just like Abraham, by the way, he loved his wife, even when she didn't have children. He didn't even marry while Sarah was, al was alive, well, at that time. He didn't marry. He just loved her, regardless of the fact that she didn't have children. And that's a beautiful thing. And I want to honor that about men. Because, you know, there's so much men are trash out there, which is... You know, but I just want to honor men who will love their wives regardless, who will love them whether they have or they do not have. Anyway, so, and they used to go up to sacrifice year after year. 
But what I find amazing is that when they went to sacrifice, they would sacrifice and then Elkanah would divide the, the rest, what was given back to them by the priest. He would divide it between the family. Now he would give each uh, a portion and then he would give Hannah a double portion. So this man was aware of the pain that his wife was going through. So he did all that he could to comfort her. All that he could. But you know, she was still in pain, in particular because of this other wife. Because she rubbed it in her face that she didn't have children. All the time she would just, because if, if you look, but ha, and then verse 6, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her. Why? Because the Lord had closed her womb. So the reason why she irritated her is because she did not have children. She, she just pressed that button constantly. And you can see the pain that was in this woman year after year. Up to, if you look at verse 8, And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Sometimes people may try to help and to do all that they can to remove the pain. But it's not enough. Because it's different. No, I can imagine her saying, but it's different. Yes, I love you. I know you love me, but it's different. <laughs> you know? And, um, but then, if you look, she then decided that she was going to go to the house of the Lord. And she was going to pray. So instead of trying to find, perhaps she did try, but we don't know. Instead of trying to find a way of, of making this work, a creative solution, she went to God. Because remember, the belief then was that God had closed her womb. So she went to God. She went to the very one who she knew could do something about the situation. And the Bible says that she went there and she prayed. It, it says that after they had eaten, it was like she literally, something turned. And she's like, you know what, wait a minute. I've got to do something about this. I can't live and wallow in this pain. I have got to do something. So she goes before God and she prays. You know, one thing that is significant is that the right way, or the way that is healthy, the way that, that brings us through chain, uh, pain in a he healthy way is if we first of all acknowledge that we are in pain. Acknowledge it, own it, and say, you know what? This is how I feel. Hannah went before God and she prayed. And then when she was asked, what is going on? She says, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. That's what she said. So she confessed it. She said, I am deeply troubled. Sometimes we, we, we try to hide our pain and to pretend that it's not there. It is good to talk about it. It is good to say it, but you say it in the right place. You bring it because you're looking for an answer. Because you know that when, we, when you take it to God, God is going to do something with it. He can and he will do something with it. So she says, I am a woman who is deeply troubled. When we go before God with our troubles, 
God is able to turn them around. God is able to help us to carry them. God is able to take us through these moments that we go through. So the first thing, acknowledge it. Secondly, allow others in. By this I mean we allow God in, but we also allow other people. It is intentional that we live around other people. We live around people. Allowing others, peop- others in could mean you go to a, to a Christian friend and say, friend, this is what I'm going through. Find someone to pray with you. Someone that you can be accountable to. Because when we are going through times of pain, we are prone to making decisions that are not the best. So when we walk with people, this helps us. It helps us to get perspective, the right perspective on what we are going through. Because also remember, when you are going through your thing, it seems like the biggest, the biggest thing that has ever happened. But when you speak to others and you help them carry it with you, they help you to right-size it and to right-size God as well. To make God bigger, for you to see how big God is and how great he is. And how capable he is to help you with it. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So we're not just praying because our prayer is a good thing. But we pray because we believe that God can change even the impossible situations. The prayer of a righteous man, of a righteous person, excuse me, But it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It is powerful and it's effective. So when we surround ourselves with people who can gird us up, who can help us pray, something begins to happen. And that's exactly what happened in Hannah's situation. If you look, sometimes the people that you go to may not understand what's going on with you, but they are obliged to stand with you. When someone comes to me with their, with their pain as their sister in the Lord, I am to listen to them and to stand in prayer with them, whether I think they're crazy or drunk or anything. But it is up to me to stand with them. So sometimes maybe you may, you may feel misunderstood. It's okay. Just go and seek that counsel. In Hannah's situation, the pro, the, the, the the priest who was Eli at the time thought she was drunk. But then she had to explain, her, to explain herself that, no, I'm distressed, I'm praying, I'm not drunk. And then from that, he prayed for her. It's amazing. He prayed for her. And do you know what happened? After he had prayed for her, after he had prayed with her, she picked herself up, wiped her face, and stopped crying. And carried on. That's what happens when we surround ourselves with people who can speak life into us. People who can pray with us. Because they help us see the power of God. And they help us see that the things that God has spoken in your life, it doesn't mean that they're not going to happen. It just means that you have to wait a little bit longer. Or your expectation of the, of the Lord, keep on, hold on. It's going to happen. Because she received a promise that this time next year, you will have a child. And what I find amazing is that even before she received this promise, she said to God, God, if you give me a child, 
I will bring this child and I will give him to you as an offering. The place of our greatest pain can be the place of the greatest fruit in other people's lives. Where I have pain, when I bring it to God and I come to him in faith and I say, God, this is painful. This rejection is terrible. But I ask you to bring something out of this. Something that you can use. Something that will glorify you. Something that will make my life matter. Something that will revolutionize my life. You see, we were talking about prayer the other day. Next level prayer. This is how we are to pray when we are in our pain. Say, God, this is hard. This is difficult. But I choose to believe you. And I choose to give this pain to you. And I know that when I give this pain to you, it's not a useless gift that I'm giving to you. It's a sacrifice that I'm giving to you so that you will be glorified in turn. So that you will do things that are even greater than what, than what I can do. Because had Hannah had a child, just any other child, she would have kept that child. If she had not gone through the pain, Sometimes we need to understand that maybe God did not author that pain or whatever it is. The point is the pain is there. And God can use that pain. God can take that pain and transform it and bring healing not only to you, but to other people as well. God can build up something new, something fresh, something vibrant from your place of pain. But that will come only if we go before him and we give it to him. And we walk with people who can help us to wake up and to see the possibilities that lie in God. The greatness of the power of God. Because sometimes when we go through these things, we do not understand. We don't see what God can do through them. The Bible says that God works all things. All things. All, all includes painful situations. All includes rejection. All includes loss. All includes disappointment. God works all things to the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I started this by saying that each one of us was made by God the way that he wanted to make you. He decided for you to be here. And he called you into his kingdom for his purpose. So when we bring this, because sometimes we want to bring all the good things to God. And when we bring this, when we bring our pains to him and we say, God, I want even this to glorify you. Even this. I want you to be glorified even through this. Regardless of what you do, whether you answer my prayer or you don't, but I want you to be glorified right where I am. Right where I am, in the middle of my pain, be glorified. And look at what God did. Look at what God did through Hannah. She had the baby and she brought the baby to the temple. Wow. 
That was just, that revolutionized the people of God. That revolutionized history. Because this one boy who was born through a prayer of a woman who was, who was battered and who was disgraced. This boy who was born to somebody who had suffered, who was brought to her knees, who went before God and petitioned the power of God. This boy who was born through those terrible circumstances, he became the greatest prophet. He was actually prophet, priest, and leader in the, in, in the kingdom of God. Now, if you look, this is the man who ushered in David. This is the man who went and who taught the people of God the, what God wanted. He went and he, he lived his life for the purposes of God. He lived his life to see God glorified in Israel. There's nothing else that you see in, in Samuel's life. It's all about God and him glorified. It's all about God and his purposes being done in the lives of the Israelites. That's what happened. And you know what? When God is glorified through your pain, when God is glorified and he does amazing things through the, the rejection that you faced, there's no greater joy. There is no greater joy. The Bible says that Jesus looked on the other side of the cross. It says that when he looked and he saw the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. He went through that pain. He knew it was going to be painful. He knew it was going to be tough. But he knew that at the end of it all, you and I would be sitting here today. You and I would have been lifting our hands before God, declaring his greatness. That joy from one cross came generations and generations of people who have been brought back to God. From one life, we have millions upon millions upon millions of people who were lost to God, who have been returned to him through one life that went through the worst pain we could ever imagine. What about my pain? What about my pain? So I want to encourage you today. You may be going through pain right now. You may have gone through pain, but you just can't lose it. You can't just, well, acknowledge it. Yes, it's painful, but take it to God. Don't just acknowledge it and, and, and then walk around. Because sometimes what we do is we acknowledge it and then we walk around telling everyone about it and sharing it. And, you know, no, you acknowledge it and you go before God and you say, God, here's my pain. I give it to you. And when you have given it to him, get up and walk away from it. And trust God. You see, that's where you need people who can then help you to walk away from it. Because sometimes you try to walk away from it and it like, doesn't want to let go. But then you walk with people. You get counseling. You do whatever it takes that you work through it. But you know that my God is going to be glorified through this. And my life will mean more than this. If you look at Sarah, through her, Isaac was born. And through them, we are blessed today. So sometimes we go through the hardest hardships, but they're the ones 
that are going to not only bless us, but transform all of humanity.